State of the Arts NYC, and this is your host, Savannah Bailey McLean. Today, I'm very pleased to have in the studio the singer Jue Chen. Jue. Jue Chen and Garrett Fisher from the opera Blood Moon, and Ricky Ian Gordon, composer, and Emma Griffin, the director of Ellen West. And both productions are a part of the Prototype Opera Festival, which is my favorite festival during uh, Jan Arts NYC, which is a collaboration of about 12 festivals uh, when APAP has their uh, industry-only festival in New York City in January, making it the largest performance art festival in the United States. So it's one of my favorite of all of them. I've met some wonderful singers, and I happen to be a fan of opera. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to kick off talking first about Blood Moon. And I like uh, the fact that with Blood Moon, we are really dealing with a response to a very old traditional Japanese style of theater, correct? The the no the no, the no theater, and um, how old is that? Uh, does it go back to the 13th or 14th century? Um, so I'm Garrett, the composer, mm-hmm. and it is mainly a 15th century uh, form from Japan, mm-hmm. and it's a really interesting form because it uses a form of Japanese that was even so obscure to people living then. Really, uh, it's very. Um, it's a lot like contemporary poetry where they play with words and words have double meanings and they, they take syntax and move it around. and So it was, it's very weirdly contemporary to our time. Mm. Um, but during that time, it was considered kind of like a court uh, form. So okay. it was performed in front of, like, you know, the royalty. Um, and didn't they use, like, familiar tales to kind of, you know get the public all involved in it? Because I believe one of the tales was the tales of the Ganji. Yes, so it's, there there are, you know, probably like a thousand more plays. And Mm -hmm. it was a very popular form, and a lot of it was based on Japanese folklore, um, much the way like Shakespeare used, you know, tales from Greek tragedy Mm -hmm. or from medieval times to make something contemporary for his time. 
they did the same in Japan. So they often used stories that were probably very familiar to people. Okay. No, I thought that was very, very interesting because to me, the only way you can really connect the past to the present is through these responses that kind of bridge all of this history and tradition together. So therefore, people can kind of understand where you're going with the Mm storyline. So that's great so that we understand the, the idea of wanting to use this old Japanese style. But the story in and of itself, I find quite fascinating. I mean, it's scandalous. You have a nephew, mm-hmm. you have an aunt on a mountaintop where she was abandoned. Tell me, how does this all feel participating in this? Joy, why don't you tell me? Because you're the, the lead singer in this. Well, I think I think all of us are lead singers. There are only three mm-hmm. singers and a puppeteer slash a dancer. I think what is interesting is the opera is talking about mortalities and immortality, which uh, which connects all the way back with the no theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, human emotions remain unchanged okay. quite because we are still very interested in our own understanding of what mortality is versus immortality. And I think that has been... Uh, that is able to be portrayed in this opera, it's great. Mm-hmm. So that we get to also be curious about this, which you know is a good thing. Mm-hmm. For me, as the moon, um, I think I was given the opportunity to only do one thing at a time. You know, I have one other hat before being a producer, composer, singer altogether. Now that I'm asked to be the moon and develop its you know physical language the approach looking into human being as a human being you know mm-hmm. what what can i do how can i allow more thoughts come to me instead of me trying to you know look like that or that uh, uh that's fascinating okay yes. no cuz it sounds you know when you think of opera you think of a lot of you know tragedies and broken hearts and and you know people trying to figure out how best to to live and that makes me think about the other production that's being done during prototype ellen west for which we have ricky and emma here and when i was reading about the opera i thought that was interesting because it almost reminded me of a femme fatale this young woman who is struggling with you know her psychological you know health and how to incorporate a better self image of herself and society at the time what what was the motivation for developing this particular opera well i read um i became introduced to frank bedort the poet's work in 1997 and um in particular this poem ellen west really jumped off the page at me and it wasn't. It was written in the form of sort of a play, uh-huh. because there is Ellen, there is the voice of Ellen, and there is the voice of the doctor. Mm. And um, it, it's funny because Frank Bedart had read a case study of this woman Ellen West, which is not her real name, uh, by a Dr. Dinswanger, and this is someone who had an eating disorder before there were. Words Labels for, it, for it. Yeah. Okay. And um, he, Frank, read this at Harvard, and for 20 years it marinated inside of him. And then mm. finally he wrote this poem, Ellen West, which was 
for him, he had this need to get to the bottom of what it was that made this woman go to such extreme lengths um, in her conflict of being in a body and, and, and being a woman and being in a woman's body. Um, and then I, then the poem lived in me for 20 years. Wow. Um, until I decided I had to set it to music. And it just really erupted. It just was like I was in the middle of writing another opera, and I thought, I have to write Ellen West. And I think part of it for me is um, its pertinence in terms of um, it's a sort of timeless, uh, it's a masterpiece as a poem, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's a timeless text in terms of, you know, Frank says Ellen was obsessed with eating and the arbitrariness of gender and having to have a body. Mm. And, uh, you know, I f in some ways I feel like who doesn't feel all those things? Do you know what I mean? This is just someone who takes everyone's concerns all the way to the edge of a cliff and a doctor whose job is to try to take her back from that precipice, and he can't. And so it's like being uh, fascinated with someone who's literally about to jump off a building. Now, the time frame of when this whole relationship began, it was like when? The late 1890s? Oh, no, no, no. It's like the 40s. 1940s? Like 20s, early 20s. Oh, early 20s. Yeah, but 1920. Then, well, but his case alive. study. His case study was then. He yeah. In the 40s. Right. Okay. And so, so she and her, she herself was a poet, mm -hmm. but her she was extremely limited by the language and the style of the times in terms of poetry a woman could write so consequently she couldn't really write about herself at all so um, i'm gonna ask ellen to jump in we're gonna share yeah but the reason why this uh caught my attention is because you know this year is a very important year it there's several centennials this year mm -hmm. uh the jazz age the 19th Amendment, where women got the right to vote. Mm -hmm. The 150th anniversary of the 15th Amendment, where black men got the right to vote. Uh, prohibition took place, as well as the Harlem Renaissance. And one of the things about the Jazz Age was that women were pushing the boundaries about how they can live. Mm -hmm. So that's how we had the flapper look because they wanted to get out of those long dresses, corsets, be more free, be more athletic. They were considered immoral to some degree because they were smoking and they were drinking, but they were also writing and they were experimenting. So that's what caught my attention about Ellen West was the fact that you're dealing with women at that time who were trying to figure out who they were and experimenting. So El, um, I'm saying Ellen because I'm thinking about the opera. Emma, as you're directing this, did any of this sort of backdrop during the times for which she was living, did that also impact your directing of the, the opera? Um, sure. Well, there's a couple of important things. First of all, the, the woman that the poem Ellen West, the, the idea of Ellen West, was European. Mm. So she was uh, German-Austrian. Um, she was middle class. Uh, she had been educated. We know we we know very little about her actually, <clears throat> and most of what we knew know is through this monograph written by her doctor twenty years after her death. But it's absolutely true, and it's certainly been very alive in the rehearsal room, especially as the rehearsal room has a lot of women in it. Mm -hmm. 
um, that we talk about the limitations of her existence mm. and the way in which, you know, she was obviously, and you can tell it in reading Binswanger's monograph, she was a vividly alive, intelligent, creative, curious human being who was shoved into a box mm. and was absolutely, in many ways, um, I, I think the intensity of her physiological diseases are a result of uh, the lack of opportunity for her intelligence to have any kind of uh, uh, outlet. Obviously, there are women who were alive at that time who were scientists and doctors and lawyers and doing amazing work. Absolutely, there are women doing that. But most of them weren't. Yeah. And so that is absolutely part of the um, you know, a woman in an extreme situation is part of the story of Ellen West, but her story is also, it does, <clears throat> pardon me, it does trans, it is this deep meditation on what is it to have a body, what is it to be human, what is it to feel uncomfortable in your skin, what is it to feel like the options available to you are not enough. I mean, those are, you know, regardless of gender, everybody feels that. Right. It's the paradox. The paradox of being born in a body, mm. um, and that that imprisonment from birth is is the dichotomy that this woman is trying to deal with. And Frank, as a poet, got to the bottom of it in his own way. He gave for what he was doing was giving a woman voice who he didn't feel had a voice okay. at the time okay. that this was happening to her. Right. This is great. Because my next question is about opera. I happen to like opera. I think it's interesting. It's very dramatic. You know, it's just dramatic storytelling. And I, I still feel that in America, a lot of people, when they think of opera, they think of the marriage of Figaro. You know, they think of you know, the, the traditional La Boheme, you know, the traditional opera. But opera has really evolved. And I just don't believe a lot of Americans understand that it's not just those, you know, 18th century, 19th century opera. We have these contemporary operas that are, like, phenomenal. And I, I, I want to know... Uh, how do you feel or where do you feel opera is going? Because I see some really exciting things happening with opera. Garrett, you know, start with you because yeah. you're one of the uh, composers here. Where do you think opera's going? Then I'm going to ask you when. Go ahead. Um, well, you know, Beth Morrison, who's the producer of both these shows and is part of Prototype, um, <coughs> she defined Blood Moon as opera theater. Mm -hmm. Um which I really like that title because uh, I would say Blood Moon is very theatrical. It's very immersive. Mm -hmm. um, my music does really well when it kind of engulfs the audience okay. as opposed to being presentational. Yes, so I like the way you said that. So we worked with her um, to create a kind of sound design that helps bring the sound of the ensemble so that it feels like it's around the audience. Ah. And I think that opera is changing in many ways and it's becoming... It's responding to the culture that we live in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of it is in topics uh, like Ellen West or like a response to an ancient form mm -hmm. to bring it into a contemporary place so that people can resonate with it. But also, I think, creating 
um, intimate spaces and spaces where audiences feel welcome mm -hmm. and invited. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes people feel with opera that it's just like this thing they feel intimidated. Yeah, by. too grand. Yeah, and they just don't, they feel like, oh, I, I don't understand it, so mm -hmm. I'm stupid, so I'm not going to go. But this is actually, you know, something that's supposed to invite people in and make them feel part of the experience. Okay. And and Jouette, the fact that you're you're in this opera, you're singing this opera, mm -hmm. I know you, you do wear multiple hats in different types of productions. Here, you're focused, but how do you feel participating in this particular production? Um, <coughs> I feel very grateful that I'm able to do a non-human role again. I kind mm. of feel like, you know, I sometimes have that quality mm. in my own character. <laughs> uh, so well cast. <laughs> um, uh, um, being the moon, being a countertenor, I mean, as if, okay, countertenor is something a little bit uh, obscure, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's important to find the human quality in the in the character, mm -hmm. as well as in the text, as well as in the voice. I think um, when you're asking the question about what opera is going, I mean, to me, I definitely agree with Garrett about, you know, distance between the performers and the audience mm -hmm. and how relevant it is to us today. But it's also to do with um, individuality, I think. It's mm -hmm. just also like how the society develops. It's very important uh, for me as a singer to find my relationship with the character, okay. as well as you know, listening directions, understanding the music from the composer. Uh, I think it's very important. I know where the character comes from me, mm -hmm. from which point it splits. Okay. Uh, it's, it's very important so that I, I know my relationship with it and I'm also being born with the character on stage and witness that as a person. I think that's important. And also to let people hear the voice type, the versatility of the countertenor voice, I think nowadays yes. is yeah, is growing. Yes, because yes. before, a, a few years ago, I wasn't familiar with countertenors, uh -huh. but now I am. And what I find about countertenors is that they add this sort of magical element because of the range of your voice mm. and it it like it pierces through you know in in an opera to force you and grab your attention and bring you into that role and i i really do appreciate counter tenors i've had counter tenors on my show before oh. and uh yeah so i i like where counter tenors are going i just feel it has this ability to transcend different uh, uh, barriers. So, yes, that yeah. was a nice way of how you brought that in. And then you two, uh, Emma and Ricky, you know, how do you feel and where do you feel opera is going today in America? Well, it's, it's funny because this is the absolute truth, but if my favorite word in the English language is the word opera. And I've been obsessed mm. with opera since I was eight. Oh. And when I was a little boy, people like Meredith Monk, Robert oh. Wilson, yeah. started taking that word and that form and calling everything they did opera. When Einstein and the Beach was done at the Met and it was called an opera. So even though I grew up 
going to the Met and the City Opera when I was a little boy, mm -hmm. there were nevertheless contemporaries who were taking that form and completely redefining it, elasticizing the word in a way that was so exciting to me. So that by the time I got to opera as a composer, I truly felt I could do anything. I could call anything an opera. That doesn't mean I did, right. but it meant that mm -hmm. that the the word n felt it, it much less encrusted than yeah. it might have when I was a little boy. So I feel myself that I took my own um, love for the musical theater, meaning you know like musical theater like Broadway, yes. off Broadway, mm -hmm. and then my love for opera and and my love for poetry and my love for art song, and I started creating a kind of musical theater that felt like my version of opera. Whatever. How interesting. You know, I so, like that. And I only think that that could have happened in this century mm -hmm. at this time, that you could take that word and you could define what opera is for you as an artist. Wow. What do you think, Emma? Um, I think that's super smart. Um, and I agree. And, I, you know, it's a really good point. I also grew up on Meredith, Will, uh, Meredith Monk and Robert Wilson. I saw my first... My parents took me to see Meredith Monk when I was six years old. Okay. I mean, that's wow. like part of my identity. And I think for me, and I also uh, also work in theater, and I would definitely define the work that I do as a director in the field of opera as being, um, you know, uh, intensely theatrically based. And I feel like, I mean, first of all, there is nothing better than people singing on stage in a room with an audience. I mean, it's... I love it. It's yeah. my favorite thing. Yeah. And I think it is thrilling and exciting. I think the human voice is thrilling. I think music is thrilling. For me, the thing that I love about opera, and I, I, I'm with Ricky, I think of it in this incredibly broad sense of the word that I find thrilling, is that um, uh, when you have the scale of the music and the voice telling stories, and I as a director feel like telling stories is the most important thing in the world. Mm -hmm. um, it, the thing that opera can do, it, this sense of epic storytelling, yes. this sense of size, if it is a, you, like, m you know, looking at what the no theater does, or if it is looking at the depth of human emotion, or if it is looking about time scale, there is something truly epic about what it can do and that is the reason why I love it and why I love the work that is happening in the 21st century and it's absolutely true we are having a huge renaissance in opera I was having um uh lunch with another countertenor and we were saying oh my god it's an amazing time to be a new opera I mean, it's really fun, um, is that it is telling these stories in this really epic way that feels very satisfying. Do you think, I know we don't have too much more time, do you think technology has impacted opera in the sense that nowadays with everyone involved in social media and the fact that everyone's into Instagram, that it kind of pushed people into wanting to have these intimate experiences where before it was more about collective experiences, but now it's more about intimate experience, which can deal with collective histories and traditions, but it's the, the style that's now 
you know, creating the difference. So can I just, I want to jump in and say <coughs> one thing that I think is really important is that in the performing arts, we have always for hundreds of years responded to technology. Technology has been part of the performing arts forever, be it about the way stages are built, be it about the way instruments are tuned, mm -hmm. the way that instruments are built. It has been a, it, it, the performing arts have reflected technology forever. Mm. Um, but that said, I do think that people, I mean, and I see this in the other performing arts as well, people are excited, as they have always been, to be in a room with storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's different because of Instagram, but I think that we are all in the middle of some form of technical revolution. I don't, I don't feel like I have clarity mentally about what's happening, but certainly it does feel like something's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do feel like technology, our current form of technological change has to do a lot with intimacy. Yes. Um, which I just thought of, I was like, wow, you know, that's totally spot on in a way, like with Instagram, like where you can, in a moment, read someone's tweet, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's kind of what we look for a little bit. And so in a way, like this form of like a more intimate setting of something, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I think that actually mm -hmm. helps bring out the epic size that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. What, what do you think, Jua? I don't know. I'm still thinking. I was really inspired by what Emma was <laughs> saying about performing. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Well, um, I think technology has options it, it, in okay. terms of its sounds, okay. like in terms of electronic sounds, in terms of sound design. Um, I think in, in opera theater, as if there is a sweet spot that we really connect to performing, to emotions, mm -hmm. yet this technology, this, you know, objective blah, blah, blah comes in and it it combines. Mm -hmm. It makes it, as what Garrett said, it makes it larger and I think it it makes the opportunity, possibility enlarged. That That's quite exciting, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, how technology emerge with you know, a very traditional classical singing mm -hmm. form, for example, where in the past, when this was invented, there was no so much of electronic sound design. Right. Now that is available to us, and how do we combine and make it even bigger and better? So that is an exciting time, I think. What I also think is interesting, I'm going to push this just a few more minutes, is just that, you know, trying not to date myself entirely but the fact that you know um contemporaries of mine we feel like sometimes the millennials don't get what many of us have experienced in life and so I did something recent myself I'm trying to acknowledge these anniversaries that are taking place so I decided because uh, I also give like tours um in Harlem talking about that history I decided to be a total flapper I went and got me a flapper dress, the headband. I mean, I went all the way out, curated everything. And the last three days, I've had such a response from people because then it was like, oh, you're trying to be a flapper. Oh, where did you get the dress? Oh, I like what you're doing. And 
all of a sudden I connect it because one of the things I find that a lot of arts people are doing, whether it's visual or performance, we're trying to figure out how to engage our audience and we're all struggling with that. And I found that when I became immersive, that others reacted and then they became immersive because then they wanted to know what I was doing. So that's why I was asking because it feels like what technology has done by making things smaller we're finding new ways of connecting with people. We have to be more creative. That's what I'm trying to get to, that I find that we have to get that way. And I feel with opera being so dramatic in the first place that it seems to open up that opportunity for people to experience these larger-than-life opportunities and, and stories. That, am I making sense? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. It feels like that. So, therefore, you're all saying that opera is going in a good direction then, pretty oh much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked what you said about, you know, when you're immersive, mm -hmm. other people become immersive. Yes. I think that's kind of maybe sort of where we're at. I think people are, are longing for connection. Yeah. And I think that um, that's exciting. That's personally really exciting for me about of composing music is that I can create pieces that I want to be immersive as like the goal. It's sort of like what I love mm -hmm. and I want to share it. And, and then I, you know, it's an invitation. Yeah. And I think that's a general direction that makes opera very exciting. Okay. Well, I really enjoyed having our conversation today. Like I said, I enjoy prototype opera festival. I just want to remind people go online to prototype. Uh, and you can see all of the performances, how you could get tickets, where they're located. I highly recommend it. I, I think it's just a wonderful festival. And I, I'm also trying to advocate for more venues for which chamber opera, because that's the other thing. Um, there's not enough venues in New York City for where chamber opera can be performed because then it could take off as this American art form. So I just want to encourage everyone. I also posted some information about Na uh, Theater and about your production specifically and folks who are participating. But I just want to thank you so much for coming out to downtown Brooklyn to Brick Media and sharing your works with us. So thank, thank you. you very thank much. You. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.